So this morning we'll start by testing your knowledge of American history. Do you remember from American history the name of Aaron Burr? He served as the third vice president of the United States under President Thomas Jefferson. And yet Aaron Burr is probably best remembered as a figure of history because of the fact that he killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel in 1804. And arguably, the duel between Alexander Hamilton and Aaron Burr was the most famous duel in all of history, or American history. You see, Alexander Hamilton had served as Secretary of the Treasury under President George Washington. And Aaron Burr was convinced that Alexander Hamilton had actually sabotaged his political career. Burr, named, Burr blamed numerous political defeats on the belief that Hamilton had besmirched him and besmirched his character. And you thought politics today was a rough business. They fought a duel. Burr survived the duel. Hamilton did not. And so there was harsh criticism and much animosity directed toward Burr as a result of that duel. And it brought an end to the political career of Aaron Burr. In spite of the fact that Aaron Burr's father was the president of Princeton University, and the fact that his grandfather was the renowned Puritan theologian Jonathan Edwards, Aaron Burr's character left a great deal to be desired. By the time that Aaron Burr reached and neared the end of his long life, Burr had tasted the cup of honor and distinction. And he had also drained the dregs of bitterness and humiliation. He was on his deathbed in a boarding house on Staten Island. And a friend who was waiting on him and taking care of his many needs at that time, at the end of his life, reported to Aaron Burr some rumor that she had heard. And she began the conversation with the words, They say. At that point, Burr interrupted her. And he said, My dear, never use those words. Those words have broken more hearts than any other. To be fair, history has probably painted Aaron Burr a little darker and a little more sinister than he actually was. But there is no doubt that Aaron Burr knew from personal experience the wounds that could be inflicted by a careless and ill-considered, they say. He was not wrong when he declared that that phrase has broken more hearts than any other phrase. How many friendships have been destroyed? How many incurable wounds have been inflicted? 
How many lives have been saddened? And how many churches have had their unity destroyed by the phrase, they say? The phrase, they say, is in our text this morning. A text that comes out of the story of Nehemiah. And we'll get to that text in just a moment. But first, a little background. Nehemiah, in my opinion, is one of the greatest characters of the Old Testament. Nehemiah was commissioned. I'll get it right in a minute. Nehemiah was commissioned by Artaxerxes, the king of Persia, to be the governor of Jerusalem. And along with a company of exiles, Nehemiah goes back to rebuild the walls to the city of Jerusalem. Nehemiah, when he saw the ruins of the city, he was grieved. He made a midnight ride around the city and surveyed the walls and the gates. And it was at that point he called together the leaders of these returned exiles. And he said to them, let us build up the walls of Jerusalem. If you're acquainted with the story of Nehemiah, you remember that as soon as they started the work of rebuilding the walls, there was opposition. Nehemiah encountered malignant opposition from the chieftains of the tribes that lived in the vicinity of Jerusalem. The leaders among those tribes was Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite. And there was also a man by the name of Geshem, or as he's called elsewhere, Gashmu, the Arabian. These three men, Sanballat, Tobiah, and Gashmu, these men and their followers, they sought, they tried in every way possible to prevent the rebuilding of the walls of Jerusalem. The first thing they did was they tried ridicule in an interview with Nehemiah. They mocked the efforts the Jews were putting forth to restore their city. They declared that even if a fox goes up and walks on the wall, their work is so inferior, the fox is going to break it down. Well, their mocking didn't accomplish the task. So since that didn't work, they tried the threat of an armored attack. But Nehemiah was too practical a man for that. He armed all the workmen with a sword. Everyone working on the wall with a trowel had a sword girded on his thigh. Well, the next plan was they decided, well, what we'll do is we'll, get, we'll, we'll find a way to entice Nehemiah to come to a friendly conference. And when he comes, we're going to assassinate him. So they invited Nehemiah to a conference on the plains of Ono. And Nehemiah says, oh no, I'm not going to come to the plains of Ono. So as a last resort, you know what they did? They tried to frighten Nehemiah out of his task of rebuilding the walls. They tried to frighten Nehemiah out of his great work for God by a slanderous report. They brought to Nehemiah an open, unsealed letter. And having this open, unsealed letter carries with it the inference that everyone has been made aware of the contents of this letter. 
just who the author of the letter is, we don't know. That's not given. But in the letter was this statement. It is reported among the heathen, and Gashmu saith it, that thou and the Jews think to rebel, for which cause thou buildest the wall, that thou mayst be their king, according to these words. That's our text in Nehemiah chapter 6 and verse 6. Well, here's the way that same passage reads in the contemporary English version. A rumor is going around among the nations that you and the other Jews rebuilding the wall are planning to rebel because you want to be their king. And Gashmu says it's true. Folks, that was a dangerous charge. And that was a dangerous rumor for them to be spreading. The very idea that this patriot was rebuilding the walls and the defenses of Jerusalem so he could set himself up as king. But God's man, Nehemiah, he wasn't frightened by their slander, no. Instead of being frightened by their slander, he denied it. And he denounced it to Sanballat. And Nehemiah asked the God of heaven to give him strength for his task. And you know what he did then? He went on with the work until the walls were built. Read the story. Sanballat, Tobiah, Ezra and Zechariah, Nehemiah, they're all dead and gone long ago. But my friends, this man Gashmir, strangely enough, the author of They Say, oh, Gashmir is still alive and well. You'll find Gashmir in ancient Jerusalem, and you'll find Gashmir in Center, Texas in the 21st century. And you'll find Gashmir alive and well and thriving in towns and cities and villages and hamlets all over this country. He belongs to all races. And he speaks all languages. And he has other names. Names such as, they tell me, have you heard? Do you think it could be true? Don't tell anyone else. But, guess what? He's always hard to locate. His name never appears when you do a Google search on the Internet. If you get one of those old-fashioned phone books like we used to have, you won't find his name there either. And if you go looking for him at his last reported address, you'll find he's always moved. Gashmu is the sign and the symbol of the tale-bearer the defamer, the detractor, and the slanderer. What Gashmu did, or what he tried to do in ancient Jerusalem in the days of Nehemiah, and what Gashmu does or tries to do in this day and generation, it brings up the whole subject of loose gossip. Vague rumors 
and malicious defamation. Now as we consider this sin for a few moments this morning, let's see how the report of a Gashmu would originate and spread. And let's also consider the great difficulty of recalling or righting the wrong done by a carelessly or sometimes maliciously spoken, they say, you need to know, have you heard? It's like putting toothpaste back in a tube. You can't do it. Then let's do one more thing. Let's ponder. What should be the attitude of the Christian man or the Christian woman who is the victim of Gashmu's, they say? What attitude should we have about that? And what should be the attitude of the person that Gashmu is speaking to? You know, it's terrible to think about. But you know, sometimes an evil report is actually conceived. It's passed on out of nothing more than pure malice. There are those who out of nothing more than malice in their heart will set in circulation an evil tale about someone else. We don't like to admit it. But there are people like that. There are people who out of no motive other than pure wickedness say mean things. And you know, even though we don't like to admit it, you sometimes find those kind of folks in the church. Those kind of folks that the Bible says they love and make a lie. There was once a fable about a triumphant procession of wickedness that was taking place in hell. And as this procession of wickedness was taking place in hell, the snake and the slanderer came along and they refused. They were just both stubborn. And refused to yield precedence one to the other. And the snake and the slanderer had a loud and noisy dispute as to who had the right to go first in this procession of wickedness. Well, you see, in the infernal regions, whoever's done the most damage takes precedence. So the slanderer showed his tongue to the snake. And the snake showed his fangs to the slanderer. And Satan took the slanderer's part and rebuked the snake. And the slanderer went first. In this world that we live in, we can, we have, we do come in contact with people that love and make a lie. But those that love and make a lie, Far greater injury is done by those who ignorantly, lightly, and carelessly pass it on 
an unfavorable report of somebody else. The original liar, the original defamer, would have little to no success in their despicable enterprise were it not for the aid and assistance that is given by those who put the evil word they've coined into circulation. And it's done easily. And it's often done carelessly. Listen to it. But beloved, it's never done innocently. How easy is it? How easy is it to have on our lips or give heed to it upon the lips of others phrases like some we've mentioned and others? Leon, they say. Wayne, they tell me. Johnny, I don't believe it, but... Well, you know, Mike, someone said to me, okay now, this is just between you and me. Have you ever heard a more absurd statement than that? What did I say in Bible class last Sunday morning? Do you remember how three people can keep a secret? The only way that three people can keep a secret is if two of them are dead. It's the only way it can happen. It's just between me, you and me. Don't tell anybody else now. Now this was just between me and Tim, and I'm not supposed to tell anybody, but I'm going to tell you. And away it goes. When we spread those things, when we use those phrases, we become allies of the slanderer. We become allies of the defamer. We permit ourselves to become a link in the sewer of detraction and slander. The ease with which a, the work of a Gashmu is done is due to something that is a lamentable and yet undeniable tendency in human nature. It is quite lamentable, and yet it is undeniable, that human nature takes delight in hearing something that's discreditable to somebody else. And sometimes it can even be done with an overstatement or an understatement. Or a leading question, you know, like, have you stopped beating your wife? Now, how do you answer that question? You see, there's something required in speech. Not only is accuracy required in speech, but loyalty to the truth is required. Action, accuracy in words, and loyalty in spirit. It's like a story I read one time about a, a sailing vessel. And there was a, ma a mate on that sailing vessel that had served under this captain for many years, and he had served admirably. But one day, due to circumstances no one knows why, the mate had a little too much to drink. And so in the captain's logbook, the captain wrote in the logbook, the first mate was drunk today. 
And the first mate asked him, said, Captain, please take that out of the record of the logbook. You know that in 15 years of serving on this vessel, that's never happened before. And that'll go against my record. Please take it out. The captain said, nope, those are the facts. And the facts go in the logbook. Well, a few days later, the first mate was on duty on the bridge, and he was keeping the logbook. And the first mate wrote in the logbook, the captain was sober today. Well, what's the implication? The captain being sober was a rare occasion. The captain said, you, you can't put that in there. That implies the fact that I'm drunk a lot of the time and you put in there I was sober today. And the first mate said, those are the facts. You were sober today. It's in the logbook. It stays in the logbook. You see, that's a, an example of how by an accuracy of statement, but by misrepresentation of circumstances, Someone's character can be completely destroyed. They say, Beloved, there is a great difficulty in recalling they say. One of the most difficult things in the world to recall, to take back, or to undo is a careless they say. Or to undo the wrong that's been done by it. When we have carelessly repeated something, it's sometimes quite difficult, if not impossible, to take it back. And by careless speech, we can cause an altogether false impression to be made of someone and their character. And it's not through contact, but it's through loose rumors and vague reports. Write this down. It's on the final exam. The slanderer's sin is the meanest and most cowardly sin of all. Even when there is not the slightest basis of fact or truth, the mere charge or report of evil can cast a shadow over the character of some good man or good woman and make an impression it might be impossible to ever blot out. How many hearts have been broken? How many churches have been damaged or destroyed? How many lives have been devastated over the years by the unchristian use of the tongue? So what do we do about it? What do we do when we're the victim of Gashmu and his crowd? The best course of action is the course of action followed by Nehemiah. A lesser man would have been frightened away from his noble undertaking. Nehemiah calmly and emphatically denounced the slander. He prayed to God that God would strengthen him. 
And he went courageously on with his work until the walls went up. But what do we do? What do we do when Gashmu comes to us? When some Gashmu comes to us and says, they say, well, maybe what we ought to do is really I'm going to pick on you again. You heard that about Leon? I sure did. Well, let's go ask Leon about it. Uh, no, 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 we don't need to do that. Most likely that's an invitation that won't ever be accepted. The Christian ideal is to think no evil. And the Christian ideal is to speak no evil. The ideal is to deal with others and speak of others as you would like them to speak of you and do to you. That's the whole concept of, of what Jesus said in Matthew seven twelve. Whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so unto them. Unfortunately, we've got those Scriptures down about baptism for the remission of sins. And we've got those Scriptures down about not using instrumental music in the worship of God. And we've got those Scriptures down about taking the Lord's Supper. But we still haven't gotten Matthew seven twelve down real good yet. Whatsoever you would that men should do to you, do you even so to them. That great, grand description of the godly man given by David still stands. It's in Psalms 15. First three verses. Lord, who shall abide in thy tabernacle? Who shall dwell on thy holy hill? He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart. He that backbiteth not with his tongue nor doeth evil to his neighbor nor taketh up a reproach against his neighbor. Well, what then is the cure for it? The cure for an evil tongue is a true conversion. The key to an evil tongue is truly making Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life. The cure for an evil tongue is to truly have the love of Christ in our hearts. Because when we truly have the love of Jesus Christ in our hearts, and when Jesus Christ is the Lord and Master of our lives, when we're tempted to pass on some evil report about someone or something else, first we'll remember our own sinfulness. We'll remember the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34 where Jesus says, O oh, you generation of vipers, how can you being evil speak good things? Listen to it. For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. Do you have the heart of Jesus? Is Jesus Christ the Lord and Master of your life this morning? You see, if Jesus is not Lord and Master of all of your life, He's not Lord and Master at all in your life. You make Him Lord of all of your life by in simple trusting faith, confessing His name before men, being buried in the waters of baptism, 
for the remission of past sins. Maybe you've done that, but you haven't lived God's kind of life. He hasn't really been Lord of your life and you need to make changes. I don't know what's going on. But if you find this morning your life is broken and there are changes that need to be made, let us help you with those changes and the Lord invites you to come as together we stand and while we sing.